all this morning, and uh, a number of our folks uh, out sick this week, and uh, so I want to pray for them, and uh, there'll be some prayer requests at the end there that we'll pray for. Um, good to have you all here. Those that are visiting, we're welcome. You're welcome as well. We're good to, good to see each one, and uh, trust that God will bless. Let's turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Begin reading in verse 48 through to verse 59. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for the opportunity to come and to worship. Uh, Father, we pray that you would... uh, Bless this reading of your word, the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you would use it to teach us and to speak to us and to change us and to cause us to feed on you, to trust in you, to uh, to stake all of our eternity upon you. And so we pray that you would accomplish this in our lives, in our hearts, for the sake of your name and for the glory of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said in verse 50, the bread, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus' assertions that he is the bread came from, that came down from heaven has caused much grumbling and much gossip among the religious leaders in the synagogue at Capernaum. In verse 50, he makes another claim that he is the bread from heaven. And anyone who eats of that bread will live forever. 
In verse 50, the word eat is equal to the other words that he uses in previous verses, such as comes, hears, sees, and believes. Notice that he refers to himself as the living bread. The bread that is that is given that is not like that which their forefathers fed on and died. This bread is living, therefore it has life-giving power. In that sense, it is the true bread. And we'll talk about more of that in a few moments. His language becomes much more poignant at this at this stage. Jesus has shown a great amount of uh, patience in, in dealing with the religious leaders at Capernaum. They are now at the point of great distress, and their distress turns to grumbling and escalates into angry disputing among themselves. Why are they so exasperated? It is because of his statement in saying that if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. They really have no understanding of what he is speaking about, but they are because they are spiritually deaf and they are spiritually blind. The word eat carries the same meaning as the words come, sees, and hears. It is equal to believing. It is a matter of appropriating Christ as the living bread that came down from heaven. So to make his claim more exclusive, if you'll notice in verse 51, Jesus uses... He employs the the use of the definite article over and over in verse 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down from, literally from the heaven, if you were to read it literally. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is for the life of the world is my Flesh. So what he's literally saying, and it's employed over and over, though you don't see it in the English necessarily, he's saying, I am the only bread, I am the only life, I am the only one that has come down from heaven, that gives this eternal life, this exclusive life, and I am the one The only one that can give my flesh for the life of the world. Now the Jews would have connected with all those definite articles. And they would have known exactly what he was saying in their physical understanding. But they did not understand what he was saying spiritually. They understood that he was making claims that no one should or could ever make. Because if what he's saying is true, then he's saying, I'm God. They caught that. I am. Ego me, I am. Which was the name that God used to Moses. 
When the Jews heard this, they saw that he was making these claims, that he was someone divine, and they didn't believe it. Like the rest of the world, they were void of life, and they were void of any hopes of heaven. Standing right before them was the true bread that had come down from heaven to give life, and they refused him. Why did they refuse him? Because they were not of those whom the Father had given to him as gifts. They were not of that number. Therefore, they could not believe his words, and they would not partake of the heavenly bread. People partake of all kinds of things in this life in an effort to find meaning and fulfillment. They try all kinds of things. However, there is only futility in the execution of those things. They only satisfy for the moment. And then they lose their ability to really satisfy. A person may reach to the highest levels of human achievement and attain honor and the awe of man. But in the end, it becomes unsatisfactory. Solomon made human accomplishment his goal, only to find out in the end that it was all vanity and nothingness. Everything under the sun he tried and succeeded at. But it only brought disappointment and unfulfillment. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he speaks of it very, very openly and candidly. Nothing has really changed. People still pursue those things that can never satisfy and they bring that bring true fulfillment to life. They're trying everything under the sun and nothing works. Into this world of disillusionment and this world of human exploration, if you will, comes Jesus Christ, the one true person who could feed the hungry, empty souls of humanity. These Jews' souls were hungry, but they would not eat. They could not fathom his meaning when he said, If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh. They could not fathom. That someone could give their flesh for other people to eat. We call that cannibalism. This is the fifth time that Jesus has claimed to be the bread of life from heaven. We see it over and over in this, in this uh, passage. As in other times he made the claim, he adds the promise that comes with it. The promise is, in essence, if you eat my flesh, you live forever. This is a startling, these are startling words. They would be startling today if we heard someone say them. So he uses everyday occurrence of eating, of food and drink, to explain, to illustrate the truth 
of what it looks like to believe in him. There are five similarities that he uses or that comes from eating of food and drink and drink that correspond to the spiritual provision of himself as spiritual food. Number one is that food is of no use unless it's eaten. You can come to the table. You can look at the food. You can smell the aroma of the food. But until you eat it, it will do you no good. You will walk away from the table if you don't eat and you will go hungry and you will eventually die. And so merely knowing the truth about Christ, seeing Jesus, if you will, from the pages of Scripture, without personalizing him internally or acting on him does one no good. Oh, you ask people today, who is Jesus Christ? They'll tell you all kinds of things. Well, he was a Jew. He was crucified on a cross. He healed people. He was a miracle worker. He was a great man. But those outward visions of who Christ is or acknowledgments of who Christ is never saves anyone. He has to be taken in internally in order to save. The writer of Hebrews says, The good news came to us just as to them, speaking of the Israelites of old, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. There's no place in God's economy of salvation for neutrality. You cannot be neutral. Either one believes and is saved, or they remain in unbelief and is lost and faces judgment. Jesus made it plain in Luke 11. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So there is no riding the fence. There is no partial Salvation, it's either all or none with Jesus Christ. Number two, eating is the direct result of being hungry. People generally eat when they're hungry. Now, I know people can eat when they're not hungry. But generally, hunger is what sends you to the table or to find food. And when one is full... When you've filled up, then you don't want to eat. Not normally, anyway. So when people are filled, the, the correlation to that is, when people are filled with the things of this life, they have no hunger for spiritual things. Especially when they think that those spiritual things might encroach upon their lifestyle. I remember very clearly sharing the gospel with a fellow over in Elk River. 
And he said, if, he said to me, if I, if I did what you say, I'd have to change my entire life. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. You would. You have to forsake yourself. You have to forsake your life. You have to forsake your sin. And all the pursuits of your sinful life. And turn it over to Christ and follow Him. There is no halfway. It's all or none. People don't like that kind of message. Because it, it, really, it really slaps at their lifestyle. I've had them say things like, well, if I did that, I'd lose all my friends. Yeah, you probably would. I did. But I gained so many, hundreds and hundreds more that are true friends because we both have the same master. Jesus answered, those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Number three, when people eat food, that food becomes a part of them through digestion. The food goes throughout the body. It gives, it gives, it's broken down. It gives nourishment to the body. It, it sustains the body and sustains physical life. People may think a whole lot of Christ. They may speak kindly of Him. But until He enters their life and becomes one with Him, they cannot be saved. John 17, Jesus said this, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. This theme is presented over and over again in scripture. It is the theme of oneness with Christ. Of internalizing Christ. Of him him coming into us and us being in him. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You're joined to Him. You become one with Him. That speaks of a single unit. The believer in Christ and Christ in the believer as a single unit. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He lives in me, Paul said. Ephesians 3.17 So that Christ may dwell in In your hearts through faith. It is the living Christ dwelling in us. Christ is spiritually ingested into the one who believes. Number four. People generally eat what they trust to be good to eat. If someone told you that that food was poison, you would probably not want to eat it because you wouldn't trust it. Quite frankly, there are a lot of places you can go to get food that maybe you shouldn't trust necessarily that it's good to eat. But the correlation is there. No one intentionally eats boiled food or poisoned food. 
So then, eating food implies trust. When Christ is taken in by faith, we are, we are believing, we are trusting that His words are true. That His work, that He will do in us what He said He would do. And that is to give us life that never ends and to raise us up on the last day. Number five, eating is a personal thing. Now, we can eat with other people, but we cannot eat for other people. The only exception to that would be during pregnancy, a mother eating for her child that is not yet born. Outside of that, no one can eat for anyone else. And so spiritually, no one can believe for anyone else. I've often wished I could believe for some other people. If I could believe for my family, I'd say I'd believe for every one of them they'd all be saved. I can't do that. It is a responsibility that they have for themselves. Everyone is responsible for themselves. Psalm 49 verse verse 7, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. It's personal, it's individual. Jesus willingly gave up himself to save everyone who believes. It was the Father who gave the Son, and it is the Son who gives himself. Turn over to John chapter 10. Notice what he says there. Verses 17 and 18. John chapter 10 is another one of those sovereign chapters like John 6 and like John 17. Jesus says in verse 17 of chapter 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew he, knew he was going to the cross. We'll see that here in a moment. No one takes my No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. So we see the oneness of the Father and the oneness of Christ working together to complete the the program and will of God for sinners. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The giving up of his flesh in, in this, in John 6, when he says, I give my flesh for the world, the giving up of his flesh is future tense. So he is looking forward. He is, it is showing that he is looking forward in his mind to that appointment that he has with death on a cross. A death that would atone for all those that the Father had gifted the Son with. A death that would be the substitute for all those that the Father had given him. It is appropriated by faith, by belief in Jesus Christ As the true bread. So belief in Christ is to absorb him. 
You absorb him like a, like a sponge absorbs liquid. It's taken in. And he becomes literally our substitute and he becomes our life. You can see why Jesus' words were so disturbing to these Jews. Because he was saying to them, unless you, unless you see in me the bread, you have no life. He's very plain in another place where he tells them, you will die in your sins. He had not willingly, had he not willingly given himself up voluntarily as the sacrifice for us, he would cease to be bread for us in any sense. He was not coerced, certainly murdered, but that willingly of his own accord. Now in verse 52, we can see that the Jews got the connection. He said, I am the bread of life, verse 35, 48. That men should eat this bread, verse 50 and 51. And he says that the bread is his flesh. So the conclusion is that people should eat his flesh in order to have life. But they can't connect it spiritually. All they hear and see is the physical understanding, their human understanding. And so they ask the question, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can that, how can he do that? This is the ever-present disputation of the heart of fallen people. It still is today. I remember, I've talked about it before, uh, that, that Oprah uh, episode where the woman stood and confessed that Christ was the only way and that all other gods were false gods. And what, what came out of Oprah's mouth? How can that be? That just can't be. That's still the cry of lostness. Even today. We see it over and over in John's gospel. How can, the how can objections. All the way back to chapter 3 with Nicodemus. How can a man be born when he's old? How can it, how can it happen? We see it in verse 9 when he says to Jesus, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? No spiritual understanding. We see it in John chapter 4. When Jesus told the woman <coughs> that he had water that would bring life. Or that she would not thirst any longer. What did she say? Where do you get this water? You have nothing to draw water with. How can you draw water? We see it in John 6 here in verse 42. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? How can you? William Hendrickson writes, unbelief never understands the mysteries of salvation. Moreover, it is ready to scoff and say, this or that is a sheer impossibility. That can't be, can't be. But I want you to notice something. 
Jesus does not try and soften his message for the sake of their feelings or try to become politically correct. On the contrary, he makes his message harder. He makes it more difficult for the human mind and heart to accept. He goes from coming to seeing, to hearing, to and learning, to eating his flesh and drinking his blood. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. So the first thing that comes to our minds in this, and in the minds of many people, when they read this passage, eat my flesh, drink my blood, is communion. You talking about communion? Did not Jesus, after all, say, this is my body and this is my blood of the new covenant? Well, there are those who have taken these sayings and taught that communion actually becomes the flesh and blood of Christ. But this is not in keeping with the teaching of Scripture. The the elements that we use for communion are emblematic. They are symbolic. When Jesus held the cup up for his disciples to drink, it wasn't blood. It was wine. The bread wasn't his literal flesh. it It was bread. And so... For for one thing, the Lord's Supper had not yet been instituted when he made these statements in John chapter 6. They would have known nothing about what communion even was. That didn't happen until later. When we get to chapter 13, 14. Secondly, if this was what is meant, if that was what is meant, that it's communion he's talking about, then that means that anyone who has ever taken communion would be would be saved. And that would make salvation a work by human standards. So you can't be talking about communion. And I just threw that in extra because I know some people have had questions about that uh, over the years. No, he's not talking about communion at all. He uses, by the way, he uses here, the, the, it, for the word flesh, he uses the Greek word sarx, which speaks of, of actual flesh. <clears throat> Whereas in the passages with communion, where he says, this is my body, he uses the word soma, which is, which is the word for a body of any kind. And he uses those in connection with the Lord's Supper. So he's, he's really not talking about communion. He is metaphorically speaking of the internal aspect of believing in him. That's what he's talking about. Like bread is taken and chewed and swallowed. It's, it's chewed up. It's called mastication. You chew it up. It mixes with the saliva. You swallow it. And then it's, it's distributed in, to energy into the body. The drinking of the cup 
You drink it, it goes out and it hydrates and it feeds the body. The obstinate, hard-hearted Jews could only think physically. They were ignorant of all spiritual understanding. And so it is with everyone until they're enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Now at this point, if this were you and me, I know I speak for myself, if this were me and I was I had gone through this over and over in different ways of illustration with someone and they and they went to the depths of of gossip and anger and disputing and and even possibly violence I would be irritated. But our Lord is not irritated. He is not ready to throw in the towel as I would. He is patient and he continues to offer himself. And isn't that what we do? We take the gospel to people and sometimes they're obstinate, sometimes they're uh, abusive, sometimes they're, uh, they can even act violently. But we just lay it out again. And again, and again. I remember years ago, <clears throat> there was a fellow uh, that when I was in the Air Force, uh, and I was really good friends with him. <clears throat> he was not a Christian. He he was an Italian fellow. He came. Uh, he was, of course, he was Catholic, and all of his ancestors was Catholic. And he was not a believer. But we got along really well until I would start talking about salvation and Christ and. Uh, he 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 would get really obstinate. He would get ugly. And finally, I said to him one time, I said, that's it. No more. You won't hear another word out of me about it. I am washing my hands of you. And as far as I know, I never spoke to him again about the Lord. I've regretted that over the years. Maybe one more time, the Lord would have opened his eyes. I don't know. I'm glad it's not up to me as to who opens their eyes and who doesn't. But my responsibility and yours is to simply tell what God has done. Tell it. And then let God take the rest of the responsibility of acting on it. Think of the times that God has held out the offer of forgiveness to people, maybe even to us, over and over and over again. He is patient. And even when people stiff-neck, He continues to offer. Now notice in in verse 53 and 54, we can see both the negative and the positive sides of Jesus' statement. He says in verse 53, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. That's negative. It's a very negative statement. You don't have life. 
It's like telling someone you're lost and you will die in your sins and be punished in hell. That's very negative. People don't like that. These Jews didn't like it. But in verse 54, we see the positive. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day. That's very positive. So here you have both sides. And it's, it is not wrong to use the negative aspect in dealing with people. Jesus did it. This whole idea of, well, you've got, to, you've got to make people like you. You've got to be friends with people. You've got to kowtow to people in order to give them the gospel is a lie. That's like saying that you're meeting the conditions for somebody to be saved. And it's not your responsibility to save anyone. It's your responsibility to give them the truth. And sometimes it's a negative thing both of these metaphors speak of the necessity of believing and believing in the sacrificial death of Christ for the forgiveness of sins to believe in Christ is to take him into ourselves by faith where he becomes a part of us and we him The sacrifice of his flesh becomes food to our souls. It satisfies our souls when we believe. And then we find our satisfaction in him rather than the things that we pursue in the world. I'll be the first to admit that I like things. I like certain things. We buy things that we like. We use them, but we have to keep them in their proper place. We have to to understand that the things we do get, we get because God has blessed us with them. It is Him that is the focus, not the thing. If you can teach your children that, they will have learned a great lesson that will help their lives. His blood is that which washes away our sin and cleanses our filthy hearts. It is simply equal to believing in him for salvation. All of the Old Testament sacrifices contained the flesh and the blood of animals slain for the forgiveness of sins. And they all pointed to that one supreme sacrifice of Christ. Giving himself, his flesh, his blood. Matthew chapter 26 verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 20 when Paul spoke. He said the elders are to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Romans 3.25, God put forth as a propitiation for as as a satisfying offering by his blood to be received by faith. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2, 
We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Christ for the sprinkling of His blood. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1.7 If we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of His Son Jesus cleanses us from all sin over and over and over again. The scriptures teach that the blood of the Son of God is what cleanses us. Culminating in in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, when the, when the multitude sang out, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people, and nation. Unless a person believes, they can't be saved. But when they do believe, they are guaranteed forgiveness, eternal life, and a resurrection that is based upon the promise of Jesus Christ Himself, who said that He will raise them. One day the Son of God, the trumpet will sound and the Son of God will shout. And the dead will come out of the graves. That's what we're looking for. Could be today. Could be this next week. We don't know when, but it will happen. Just like Jesus said it would. All right, we're going to stop right there. Uh, We have just a few more verses in this uh, in this bread of life discourse, and then we carry on in that last part uh, of chapter six with the disciples and their and their take on what he what he has said. Because they were right there with him in the synagogue. So next week we'll pick it up uh, at at verse uh, 54. No, verse 55, excuse me. At verse 55 and carry on. Now let me get my bulletin here. <clears throat> All right, just a couple of announcements. We do 